Welcome to Understanding the Bible with Pastor Stephen. This is episode 19, The End Times, the book of Daniel, part 2. So last week we had gone over the first couple of visions in Daniel, um, in chapter 2, the statue, in chapter 7, the four beasts, and then in chapter 8 we started with the ram and the goat, and a brief history of what that meant to us, which is our history, but it was a future prophecy when Daniel gave it, that it was the reign of Alexander the Great from 336 to 323 BC, and then uh, Antiochus Epiphanes, and the fact that the Bible has double prophecies, where some parts will give a prophecy specific to Israel, as well as that same prophecy pertaining to the end times, when it talks about the day of the Lord or that great and terrible uh, tribulation and things like that. So we had read the vision in Daniel chapter eight last week, but we did not give the interpretation. And that's what we're going to start with today. The vision was Daniel chapter eight, verse one through 14. So now we have the interpretation starting in verse 15. And it came to pass when I, even I, Daniel, had seen the vision and sought for the meaning. Then behold, there stood before me as the appearance of a man. And I heard a man's voice between the banks of Uli, which called and said, Gabriel, make this man to understand the vision. So we're, now it's Gabriel, the angel is coming to talk to Daniel. Verse 17. So he came near where I stood. And when he came, I was afraid and fell upon my face. But he said unto me, Understand, O son of man, for at the time of the end shall be the vision. Now as he was speaking with me, I was in a deep sleep on my face toward the ground, but he touched me and set me upright. And he said, Behold, I will make thee know what shall be in the last end of the indignation. For at the time appointed, the end shall be. The ram which thou sawest, having two horns, are the kings of Media and Persia. And the rough goat is the king of Grecia. So here he names the kingdoms that are coming, right? And this is before that ever happened. It's a prophecy. And the great horn that is between his eyes is the first king. Now that being broken, whereas four stood up for it, four kingdoms shall stand up out of the nation, but not in his power. So he's saying this one king will not have power anymore, but four more kings will rise up. And in the latter time of their kingdom, when the transgressors are come to the full, a king of fierce countenance and understanding dark sentences shall stand up, and his power shall be mighty, but not by his own power. And he shall destroy wonderfully, and shall prosper and practice, and shall destroy the mighty and the holy people. And through his policy also he shall cause craft to prosper in his hand, and he shall magnify himself in his heart, and by peace shall destroy many. He shall also stand up against the prince of princes, but he shall be broken without hand. And the vision of the evening and the morning which was told is true. Wherefore shut thou up the vision, for it shall be many days. And I, Daniel, fainted and was sick certain days. Afterward I rose up and did the king's business, and I was astonished at the vision, but none understood it. He names the kingdoms here, but he only names two of them. So there's something to understand about the visions and the book of Revelation. In the book of Daniel here, these visions, these dreams that he is interpreting and telling, is they're all the same. So you had the statue first, which was four kingdoms. 
three empires that will rise up after King Nebuchadnezzar. The fourth kingdom will then rise up and has 10 toes and it's different than all the rest, right? And we already explained that one. Then he has another dream about the four beasts. The fourth one is different. It has 10 horns and it explains this little horn is the Antichrist. And it talks about these 10 kingdoms. Well, that's like the 10 toes. So he's giving a little bit more in this vision. Apparently Daniel still didn't understand it. So he gives him another vision, this one about the ram and the goat. And he names the kingdoms to let him know, Hey, Daniel, you're not getting it. This is actual physical kingdoms that are going to rise up. And here's the names of them. The second kingdom after King Nebuchadnezzar is going to be the kingdom of media Persia. After that's going to be the kingdom of Greece. And then he explains how Greece is going to splinter into four kingdoms. This is history that we can verify and we know it happened. Now, what's fascinating about all this is when this book was actually written. So we know that Daniel died approximately 538 BC. So this book was written sometime before his death. So 550, 560 BC, I'm not sure when. This was clearly a prophecy of the things that were to come. And now we know historically have actually happened. And that's the amazing part. This is pretty awesome. He names what is about to happen and he names the kingdoms here. Prophecies many times are given multiple times in order to help you understand it. Then you have double prophecies like the one where it talks about the Antichrist desecrating the temple. And we showed how that was quite possibly a uh, revelation of Antiochus Epiphanes. And then also very clearly a reference to the end times, the seven year tribulation. So you have to understand that when a prophet is given a, a prophecy from God, it's kind of like you're standing on a hilltop and you're looking across a vast valley of years, much time that still has to pass, right? And you look up to the next hilltop, which is at the same height as you are. And let's say he's getting a prophecy of Jesus Christ in the cross, right? And so he sees the cross standing on that hilltop. And he doesn't know how many years are in between him and that next hilltop that he's got the prophecy of. Okay. And then as time progresses, the prophet dies, Israel moves on. Then that time happens, that hilltop, and they get up there. And they realize the thing that was prophesied just happened, but the cross is on the next hilltop and there's a whole nother valley. And so many times in the Bible, a prophet will say something is about to happen and he doesn't know how many hilltops or how many years are in between what he is seeing and him. So they're kind of like one hill is superimposed on top of another hill, on top of another hill, on top of another hill. And you're glancing across all the tops of the hills and you're seeing the cross of Jesus, you know, and it's 600 years away or a thousand years away or whatever. And you make that prophecy and you don't realize all the different things that happen in between. So that's the idea of not quite understanding all of the years and the time frames in it. And that's where we get to the next one, which is the 70 weeks of Daniel. You need to understand that sometimes those prophets did not understand the prophecy. And so they're given it several different ways to help them understand. 
hey, this is going to happen to you. This is going to happen to the nation of Israel. This is going to happen to the whole world. So Revelation does this as well. John reveals things that happen, and then he comes back and explains them again, like in chapter 12 and 13 of Revelation. Chapter 13 gives more details about the Antichrist at the three and a half year mark, and we'll cover some of that. But it's the same exact thing as what he just covered in Revelations 12. And so what appears to us to be a chronological order of events due to the chapters that are listed. And keep in mind, the chapters were not inspired by God. The chapter numbers and the verse numbers is something that we translators added later to help us separate different things, different letters, different visions, etc. So those are not inspired. The actual words are what is inspired. So you have to understand that, that sometimes we see a separation in the chronological order of things, and there's really no separation. Keep that in mind. And here's, here's another really obvious one that people do know is the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those are four different viewpoints of many of the same exact events. So that's how some of these prophecies work as well. One thing we need to understand when it comes to prophecy is the danger of false teachers. Saying that something is being prophesied virtually or it's spiritually, we're, we're going to allegorize it or whatever when dealing with prophecy is very dangerously close to saying, well, God didn't mean what he said. So you've got to be very careful when you listen to people like myself and make sure that I'm actually saying what the Bible says. A lot of people, because they don't understand the prophecy, uh, which Daniel is really hard to not understand it. A lot of people will say, well, this is spiritually the kingdom of Israel. You know, they were, uh, their hearts were hardened like stone or, or they'll make up something about what they spiritually think it means because it clearly can't be a real physical prophecy. That's dangerous. Saying that what God said is not what God meant. So you have to be careful when reading the Bible literally. What that means is that normal grammar rules apply when it comes to metaphors, parables, visions, etc. So Daniel chapter 9, uh, starting in verse 24, brings up these 70 weeks. So it's 70 weeks of years that you're going to hear here. So Daniel 9, verse 24, it says, 70 weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city to finish the transgression and to make an end of sins and to make reconciliation for iniquity and to bring in everlasting righteousness. Well, that's clearly only God right there. So to bring in God, we're talking about the end of time when Jesus reigns on earth, and to seal up the vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. There you go again. So he said it twice there. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem unto the Messiah the Prince shall be seven weeks... And three score in two weeks. A score is 20. So that's three scores, 60. And two weeks, 62. And then the seven weeks before that he mentions is 69 weeks. The street shall be built again and the wall, even in troublous times. And after three score and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary and the end thereof shall be with the flood, and unto the end of the war desolations are determined. 
and he shall, the prince, shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. So here's your 70th week. And in the midst of the week, he shall cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease. And for the overspreading of abominations, he shall make it desolate, even until the consummation. And that determined shall be poured upon the desolate. So two, three thousand years ago, kingdoms were counted. Each kingdom counted the years based on their own king. In the year of King Darius, in the 14th year of the reign of the families of whoever, or in the year of the fox, you know, if you're looking at some of the Chinese calendars and stuff. So there's people smarter than me that have gone and looked at the different calendars, calculated what year it was for us, where we label it BC before Christ or AD Anno Domini. I'm not going to go into the individual calendars here. I'm just going to break it down into our time frame, okay? So that you can understand these 70 weeks. First of all, we have the seven weeks, the first seven weeks. So in verse 25, it said, to build Jerusalem unto the Messiah, the Prince shall be seven weeks, comma, and three score and two weeks. That first seven weeks, seven times seven years, is 49 years. First of all, the decree to rebuild in verse 25 was to rebuild Jerusalem and the wall. In history, we can go back and look. There were four different decrees to rebuild the temple, but only one of them was to rebuild the city also the city of Jerusalem. It is very clearly a reference to when King Artaxerxes gave the decree in 445 BC. In Nehemiah chapter 2, it says, And it came to pass in the month Nisan, in the 20th year of Artaxerxes the king, and then he labels what he's going to do. Verse 9, it says, Then I came to the governors beyond the river and gave them the king's letters the letters to buy the wood, the timbers, the stone to build the city. Now the king had sent captains of the army and horsemen with me. That was the decree. And it names the month and the 20th year of the king. That's how we know historically we can go back and find that was 445 BC. 49 years later, historically, you can Google it. It was actually done. 396 BC. So 445 to 396 is 49 years. Some people say that that was 455 or 444 or 445, depending on the calendars they used. But either way, 49 years later, based on those calendars, you come up with the year of either 406 or 395 or 396 BC. No matter which calendars you use, it's 49 years later, which is very, very cool that we know that first seven weeks, that prophecy was fulfilled. So that leaves us with 63 weeks, right? If there's 70 weeks, we've used up seven of them, 49 years. Now there's 63 weeks left. Clearly in Daniel 9:26, it said, and after three score and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off. So that's 62 weeks, right? So that's leaving one week at the end. So we have seven weeks, then we have 62 weeks for a total of 69, and then we have a 70th week that has yet to be discovered. The next 62 weeks, 62 times seven years, is 434 years. That puts us around 38 AD for when the Messiah is supposed to be cut off, but that is without regard to leap years 
or the errors in the calendar changes. If we go all the way back to the beginning, the first decree at 445 BC, and we just do 69 weeks from there, then we count off 69 times 7 is 483 years. Now, the Hebrew calendar was 360 days to a year, not 365. If we take 360 days times the 483 years, the 69 weeks of Daniel, we get 173,880 days. If you take into account the leap years, which is every fourth year, you get an extra 120 days. So starting in the first of Nisan, the month of Nisan, when the decree was given, that's March 14th, 445 BC, and you count those 174,000 days, you reach the date of April 6, 32 AD, the occasion of Christ's triumphal entry into Jerusalem, the Feast of the Passover. So we don't know if it was 32 or 33 AD or whether it was 445 BC or 444 BC, but either way you do it, the days work out to exactly that Passover feast when Jesus Christ came in. Then we had Jesus Christ crucified. So that verse in Daniel that says, after three score and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off. That's talking about the crucifixion. Now he goes back to heaven and he's no longer here on earth. Isaiah talks about this. Isaiah 53, starting in verse 1, says, Who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow before him as a tender plant and as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. Keep in mind the whole doctrine of the Bible is that this Messiah that was predicted in Isaiah was going to be killed. His blood is what saves us. So his stripes is referring to the Roman stripes where they cut him to pieces and beat him before he was crucified on the cross. And it is by the shedding of his blood that our sins are forgiven. Now, if that's not enough for you from the Bible, we also have what we know of history. So Josephus, the Roman uh, historian, wrote in his book, The Antiquities of the Jews, quote, there was about this time a wise man named Jesus, if it is lawful to call him a man, for he was a doer of wonderful works. Pilate, at the suggestion of the Jewish leaders, condemned him to the cross. Those that loved him at first did not forsake him, for he appeared to them alive the third day, as the divine prophets had foretold, along with many other wonderful things concerning him. Jesus' death on the cross was known among the whole world. It reached back to Rome, Italy, so that a historian thought it important enough to put in and understood that he did miracles and was prophesied that he would do these things and he knew that he rose from the dead. This is not just a fantasy book. This is history. 
real history. All right, now check it out. So what happened then, that's ended the 69 weeks. Then we have the 70th week, which is a prophecy of the seven-year tribulation where the Antichrist makes a covenant with many for seven years. And the people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. The people shall destroy the city, not the prince. So potentially, this is referring to the legs of that statue, the Roman Empire, that destroyed the city around 70 AD. But the prince that shall come is the Antichrist. So the people destroyed it. Then later, we still have those 10 toes, those 10 kingdoms that rise up and the Antichrist then comes and they shall destroy the city and the sanctuary and the end thereof shall be with the flood and and to the end of the war, desolations are determined. Well, the desolations referred to is the woes and the trumpets and the, the judgments that come in the book of Revelation. So until the end of that, verse 27, and he, the prince, shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. This prince that comes, who by his power, Jerusalem was destroyed, right? He's going to form a covenant for seven years. This is a seven-year treaty that starts the end times, the seven-year tribulation. Now, here's how we know that. It continues, and in the midst of the week, he shall cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease, and for the overspreading of abominations, he shall make it desolate. So the Antichrist is going to desecrate the temple and keep the Jews from doing their sacrifices. Well, first of all, it says the midst of the week. Well, we already know that the week is seven years. The middle of that is three and a half years of the seven-year tribulation. Now, Daniel's not the only one that speaks about this. Jesus spoke about it in Matthew 24, 15. When ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place, whoso reads, let him understand. Then let them which be in Judea flee into the mountains. Number one, this is clearly talking about the temple of Solomon being rebuilt, the holy place. And he's clearly referencing the end times, not something that happens 70 years later because the temple was destroyed and the great leader did not stand in there and declare himself to be God. So here's how you know that Jesus was speaking about the end times is that if you continue reading in 16 through 30, he lists what will happen after this abomination of desolations, the hunting of Christians by the Antichrist, the battle of Armageddon. And then verse 30 And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. This is clearly the second coming of Jesus Christ. That's what Jesus is talking about here. And Jesus associated that with the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet. So trying to say it's already been fulfilled when Jerusalem was destroyed or when something else happened in history. Did Jesus come back? Did the Son of Man come on the riding on the clouds of heaven? No. That does not make sense if Jesus associated Daniel, this chapter and verse, with the end of the world. Now, we also have the book of Revelation, chapter 12, starting in verse 12. It says, Therefore rejoice ye heavens, and ye that dwell in them. 
Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea, for the devil is come down unto you, having great wrath, because he knoweth that he hath but a short time. And when the dragon saw that he was cast unto the earth, he persecuted the woman which brought forth the man-child. So that's Israel, which brought forth Jesus Christ. And to the women were given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness and to her place where she is nourished for a time and times and half a time from the face of the serpent. So Israel is flown into a place in the wilderness where she is nourished for three and a half years. Time, one year, times, two more years, half a time, half a year from the face of the devil. So the last three and a half years, Israel is going to have a safe place. Then verse 15, And the serpent cast out of his mouth water as a flood after the woman, that he might cause her to be carried away of the flood. And the earth helped the woman, and the earth opened her mouth and swallowed up the flood, which the dragon cast out of his mouth. So here he's going to come against this special place that's a haven for Israel, right? And whether it's he causes a flood of water or a flood of armies to come towards them, it sounds like what God's going to do is cause a great earthquake to open up and swallow it up between this great dragon and the nation of Israel that is hiding in the desert. And the dragon was angry with the woman in verse 17 and went to make war with the remnant of her seed, which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Then we look at Revelations 13, starting in verse 3, speaking of the Antichrist. And I saw one of his heads, as it were, wounded to death, and his deadly wound was healed, and all the world wondered after the beast. And they worshipped the dragon, which gave power unto the beast, and they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like unto the beast? Who is able to make war with him? And there was given unto him a mouth, speaking great things and blasphemies. And power was given unto him to continue 42 months. That's another three and a half years. So we have the book of Daniel. We have the book of Matthew. And now we have the book of Revelations talking about this middle of the week that is three and a half years. Verse six. And he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle. There's your reference to desecrating the temple and them that dwell in heaven. And it was given unto him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And power was given him over all kindreds and tongues and nations. And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him whose names are not written in the book of life of the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Then we have another reference in Thessalonians. Second Thessalonians chapter two, starting in verse one. Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him, that ye be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled, neither by spirit nor by word nor by letter as from us, as that the day of Christ is at hand. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed the son of perdition. So the Antichrist is going to be revealed and people are going to fall away. Verse 4. Who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he is God, sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. This is the abomination of desolations at the three and a half year mark. So Thessalonians talks about it as well. Verse 5. Remember you not that when I was yet with you, I told you these things. And now you know what withholdeth that he might be revealed in his time. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now letteth will let, 
until he be taken out of the way. I believe that is a reference to the Holy Spirit restraining the devil right now in this current age. Verse 8. And then shall that wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth, and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders. Again, revelations. This is a reference to the Antichrist being given power to do miracles by the devil. Verse 10. And with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they received not the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this cause, God shall send them strong delusions that they should believe a lie that they all might be damned who believed not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Now, I draw a parallel to this, to the COVID masks and the lies that the mask will save you. The vaccines will save you. And now we know they cause heart problems and kill people. And the vaccine passports, which I think is a parallel to the mark of the beast that's going to happen in the end times. So I can clearly see in our current society, yes, even in the free America that we will clearly give in as a people to the lies of the Antichrist. And it's going to be very easy to persuade people to believe whatever he wants. So I think there's two things to understand here. Number one, because you receive not the love of the truth, you need to have a love for truth and you need to search for truth. And number two, do not take the mark of the beast. Notice that we had read in Revelation that everyone will worship the Antichrist except those who are written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundations of the world. If your name is written in the book of life, you won't worship the Antichrist. And I think that entails taking the mark of the beast. Now, that all sounds pretty scary, but this is the cool part. Second Thessalonians chapter 2 is where we're at. Look at verse 13. But we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God has from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the spirit and belief of the truth, whereunto he called you by our gospel to the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which you have been taught, whether by word or our epistle. And I believe this means that you must endure through this tribulation time. There is no rapture. It's very clear in the rest of scripture. And I did a whole, uh, several episodes on the rapture. You go back and check them out, but there is no rapture. We're going to have to endure through this. Verse 16. Now our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God, even our father, which hath loved us and hath given us everlasting consolation and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and work. Why? Well, for me, it's a great comfort to know, number one, I'm going to heaven. Number two, I know what's going to happen and when. I know the future, literally. I know that after they rebuild the temple that the Antichrist is going to establish a a peace treaty with Israel for seven years. And then three and a half years into it, he's going to break that treaty and call himself God and desecrate the temple And then he's going to hunt down Christians. And there's only going to be three and a half years of bad times for us. And for some of us, God's going to give us a sanctuary in the desert and over in Israel. I don't know if that means any Christian who runs to Israel, that God's going to give you sanctuary, that you'll be protected. Or if it's just the Jews, 
And we know that we will be rewarded in heaven. And if by chance we get caught by the Antichrist and his Nazi police, they're going to behead us. So it'll be a quick death. And then we'll be in heaven and we'll be with God's angels and we'll be able to reign for a thousand years with him. So I have comfort that I know the future for the whole world. I know the days. I know the number of the days, three and a half years. I know the events that are going to happen. And I know the God that is making the events happen and that he's going to win in the end. And I have no fear because worst case scenario, you're going to end up in heaven a little bit earlier than some of us. And I think no matter what, it's going to give us an opportunity to witness to our neighbors and our family and people around us that we know what's going to happen next. And we'll get into that in the book of Revelation. But there's a lot of good stuff in there that it's going to be an exciting time, devastating time for a lot of people. But when you have the perspective of eternity in Jesus Christ and you know exactly what's going to happen next, you're going to be able to witness to people and tell them that you got that from God and show them in the book of Revelation what happens. And when it happens, maybe they'll believe you and they'll turn to God. So there's going to be some opportunities for us living through the end times. So we'll complete the study on Daniel next week, and then we'll start in on the book of Revelation. Until next time, may God bless you.